I'm Michael Trenor, and this is who I am. So there's Michael Trenor, the actor and dialect coach known for the thinning at season six of The Walking Dead, where he played the character Nicholas. He also has a recurring role as the teacher Craig in the freeform series The Fosters. We spoke back in September. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming down. Um, I, I will be honest. I am, I'm normally awful at doing research on people at the best of times. Yes. Um, but I was working yesterday and we wrapped at 2 a.m. So... Um, I looked at your IMDb page. I know you. All eyes. And uh, all I looked eyes. at a Wikipedia yes, page. We, we have been lovers. Yeah, we yes. have. Deep, uh-huh. deep uh-huh. lovers. And uh, yeah, and that's about as far as I went. But um, Fort Lauderdale, that's where you were born. That's, <laughs> that, that's <laughs> so something. Starting at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so this is a good, because, uh, you know, this is going to be like therapy for me, because I, I have to ask myself, who am I? Uh-huh. And to make it declarative, this is who I am. Hmm. This is... There may be some backtracking as we go on the journey of Michael Trenor. There may be some uh, tangents this way and that way. But Fort Lauderdale is about where it began. I think actually it's Pompano, Florida, which is uh, near Fort Lauderdale. It's already, this is how exciting it's going to get, guys. <laughs> Stick around. <'cause laughs> so we're going to MapQuest the distance. From, <laughs> and we're going to use MapQuest. We're going to re uh, have that come back to life. Mm-hmm. Um uh, uh, yeah, uh, I was born in Florida, and then we moved all around within the uh, the great state of the flaccid penis of America, and um, uh, uh, eventually meandered westwardly to where we hit San Fran, and my mom and I flipped a coin. Mm-hmm. Heads, we go further west to Hawaii. Tails, we go back to Florida. Um, she flipped the coin. She cheated. Next thing you knew, we were in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, I was like, was that heads? Yeah, 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 heads-ish. Yeah, that's heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, I did high school in Hawaii mm-hmm. as much as one can do high school in Hawaii. Um, and then, yeah, that's my upbringing. So mm. this has been fun. That's, <laughs> that's who I am, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Uh, join us next week. Enjoy the drive. Um, why were you moving around in Florida? What was happening? We were always, my mom was just always a bit of a vagabond. Mm-hmm. Um, she had traveled a lot. She had worked uh, within the travel industry um, before I was born and for the first few years of uh, my existence. And then after that, uh, uh, some some family upheaval that caused us to be just sort of like uh, meandering. We mm-hmm. uh, We'd move a lot. Uh, by the time I, I I finished high school, I think I had been to twenty something schools, mm. and even within that, like each school district or area, we'd just move around constantly. Yeah, um, sort of a you know a, 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 a um. That's always so funny. How how honest do you want to get? Uh, <laughs> uh, <coughs> sort of a um. Uh, 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 very uh, uh, we didn't have a whole lot to we we moved around we were sort of like motels and things Mm -hmm. of that sort and here and there and yeah um, uh, uh, moving around just a lot so uh, that was it it was always but it was great training for 
later becoming an actor, this mm-hmm. gypsy lifestyle, this sense of having to have the stability based on the personalities in your life, not the structures mm-hmm. or not the idea of certain locales, um, finding a consistency of self and of an ability to take care of self and have that be the cornerstone of your sense of safety, of your sense of um, identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm always very... Uh, envious isn't the right word, but uh, curious is those people who grew up in a certain place their whole life. Those friends you meet who are like, yeah, I went to started going to kindergarten with so-and-so and a core group of friends. We stayed friends throughout all of high school. And, yeah. you know, the, f- the family still lives in a town or at least in a neighborhood or area that was similar to where they grew up. And uh, uh, that, that to me seems so mystifying. Like, mm. How do you take that and go out into the world with all the changes and the, the, the vagaries of location and, and, and people? And yeah. Like, well, I think they're all fucked in the head. <laughs> Can I cuss on this? I'm going to cuss on Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Let's make this explicit. A little sexy little E next to the podcast yeah. thing. Uh-huh. They like that. They like that. Mm-hmm. The kids love the E. Um, so do you consider yourself from Florida or from Hawaii? Was most of your stuff in <clears throat> growing up in Hawaii? Or? I think the easy answer and the sexier answer is that uh, people say, where are you from? I say Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then they do all the uh, mahalo, aloha, and pineapple jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and spam. Mm-hmm. Oh, lots of spam <laughs> jokes. Oh, the spam is spam is good. Some spam masubi. That's some good stuff. Which is a disgusting concoction of spam with like a barbecue sauce on a small little bed of like sushi rice wrapped in seaweed. Mm-hmm. You say that, and they go, "Oh, I would rather die than eat that." <laughs> like, just I'll give you the information of the secret rebel base. Don't make me eat that. <laughs> um, but it's it's quite delicious. Um, I say I'm from Hawaii because I think. That was, we got there, we moved around to the island a little bit, um, and my mom and I sort of decided, hey, let's try and make a go of this because we were both vaguely aware that college was an impending obstacle or um, something to prepare for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to have something, some sort of John Hughesian high school experience mm-hmm. And I felt that in order for that to happen, I wanted to have some level of consistency. So I think I I began to take shape more and um, still consider myself um, um, a creature born of what I experienced and what I, 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 I became curious about during my years in Hawaii. And so I say I'm from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. When did you start dancing? When was that? Uh, in the womb, baby. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, I had always been like a, like a like street dancing or like in clubs and all that stuff. But then one one year, um, I had a, a girlfriend that I just I couldn't I couldn't get away from. I couldn't break her orbit. Mm-hmm. It was uh, so damaging. But the sex was so spectacular. <laughs> And so my friend's like, hey, I know how to distract you. Uh, come do a musical. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? Uh, anything uh, to distract I, you from I, sex. Listen, I, I, can, I can let go of this girl. I don't think <laughs> I just need to start wearing tights and, you know, um, <clears throat> all that jazz. But uh, sure enough, I had dabbled a little bit with high, uh, high school drama and things of that sort. And this was like a summer production where... 
they were like a, a community theater. There was, you know, adults and, mm-hmm. and kids from sc- uh, high school and uh, visiting performers. There's a real rich culture uh, for the performing arts in Hawaii, especially at the time that I was there. I mm. think there was a lot of state focus for it. And there was a huge, the Maui Arts and Cultural Complex w- uh, Center, sorry, was just being built, uh, which was this huge complex with like a cool black box theater that could be... Uh, rearranged for audiences to have like a few hundred or an intimate 99 seat theater type thing. And then there was a big main stage that could hold 2,500 people. So, but we did this production it was a production of West side story. And, um, uh, yeah, uh, when you're a jet, you're a jet <laughs> all the way. Uh, and I was, and I went all the way. And so, um, basically my friends were right. Uh, being in a big musical with a chorus of beautiful women um, was the right medicine for my soul. And uh, at the end of that production, some people came up to me and said, you should be dancing. You should be doing this. This is, you're fun to watch. You're mm-hmm. exciting to watch. And uh, my my ego ate all that up. Mm. Next thing you know, I was in dance classes. And it wasn't like, you know, uh, as uh, illustrious as one might expect, you're in a sweaty, humid, um, tropical climate, uh, <laughs> wearing tights because they wanted to have some sense of formality in a, in a ballet class with, you know, you're 17, 16, 17 years old, uh, 17. Um, and uh, there are these like 11 year old girls mocking you mm-hmm. mercilessly <laughs> while you're, is this a tondu? <laughs> Or is this what, what Ron Deshawn? What am I doing? Suddenly, I'm like Southern as I'm I'm doing the, the French ballet classes, and uh, but I did. I found myself really uh, sticking to it. I think I loved the idea. I had done martial arts as a bit when I was a kid, and I grew up kind of scrappy and fighting a lot, mm-hmm. and that also kind of put me in my body. And so there was something about the kinesthetic focused focus of dance that. Uh, really captured my imagination. And um, there, being a man in the dance world, there was even greater male privilege than we exist, <laughs> than we, uh, than we uh, enjoy in, in other, other facets of the world. Um, you didn't have to be as good as the women who had been dancing and training since they were three. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I was a strong partner and could leap real high and had somewhat of a stage presence, uh, I had opportunities that uh, I did not deserve. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's eventually what I went to college, pretending to go to college was on a dance scholarship. All right, which college? I went for a day or two to a college (laughs) called Marymount Manhattan College. Um, I was uh, a a guinea pig for their musical theater program that they were starting where I had scholarship from the acting department and the dance department. But Mm. um, I was was never a... uh, a good student, mm. um, which I'm sure, I'm, I wonder how common of a theme that is. Uh, I just didn't get used to going to school. We moved around so much, and um, one school district I'd be like in fifth grade, we'd move a month later in the same school year, and I'd be like in sixth grade at this other school district because you'd test in and out, and it was mm. before computers, and so you could just kind of like, well, what grade are you in? Like, oh, well, I'm reading these books, and this, well, we'll put you in seventh grade, mm. you know, and and so uh, I didn't find school to be the uh, consistent uh, uh, guide for what I should, shouldn't be doing intellectually or 
what my personal course of study was. So I, the failing of that sort of hodgepodge education as I moved around is that I never really learned the discipline of being a good student. And especially in college, I feel as though that was something you had to, like a 20-page paper to me was this this mountain. I didn't even know the beginnings of how to get to, let alone climb. Yeah. So as opposed to buckling down and, and saying, well, I'm going to learn how to do this and push through. I was like, well, I'm getting asked to go dance at this company in the West Village, and they're paying me, and so why would I want to be going to school mm-hmm. when I could be a working artist yeah. in this chosen field? And so... Hmm. College was not, uh, I was not long for that, that academic career. Mm-hmm. How long did you dance at the, the company for? Um, in, in Hawaii, I danced like with, uh, I did a bunch of musicals there and stuck around until like the time I should have finished high school and uh, did some stuff with like West Hawaii ballet out there. And then, um, in New York, there was a few different smaller little companies I danced with, but it was always, you would dance, you would go and you'd be put on, they do a, a choreographer would be doing a selection of pieces and you'd perform it for like two nights mm-hmm. or you'd perform it for like, you know, uh, 14 days at some small little dance space in the East Village. And it, it was fun, but it was never, um, it was never, uh, as rewarding as I, I had wanted it to be. Which I think is an interesting thing on a few podcasts that I've listened to of this mm-hmm. is that the thing that drives people towards creativity, it, it, I feel as though it has to be that amateur love of doing it because the reality, and this is a lesson I've learned in the various artistic pursuits I've had, the reality of getting to that fabled plateau, that mm-hmm. fabled destination, is always hollow, you know? And so I was sitting there dancing, going, oh. And this is why I, I used to joke that I got kicked out of the ballet because I started talking, and like, you can't talk in a ballet. <laughs> uh, uh, and I wa- started the acting had always been something I had done a little bit of also just because of musicals, you know? Yeah. And, and then I went back home to Hawaii. My mom was still there, and regrouped for a bit and then charged again just purely acting um and stopped dancing and and had been making some you know money here and there dancing at shows Mm -hmm. or like you know um industrials and this sort of strange collection of gigs here and there dancing at clubs i was a go-go dancer for a while Mm. back in the (coughs) fitter days of the (laughs) trenor experience um and then uh yeah, I went back home and decided to go back to New York and s- and went into a conservatory. And that was the first time that I really truly applied myself and found um, that I wasn't... It wasn't that I was a bad student. It was that I hadn't found a means or an educational experience that uh, that inspired me to apply myself and mm-hmm. at this little small little conservatory and I had auditioned at bigger schools and and some got into some I didn't get into but I had options and then I went to this little conservatory in New York called New Actors Workshop that was started by uh, 
uh, Mike Nichols, the film and, mm-hmm. and TV director, and this guy, Paul Sills, who was a, a, a real driving force in uh, what became like the American improvisational scene, and this dude, George Morrison, who was a, uh, a teacher um, uh, that like Gene Hackman, who had always been a favorite of mine, and Dustin Hoffman had really credited with helping them to understand their process. Mm-hmm. And so I was still young enough at around like 22, 23 that I, I thought like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do this and figure out what this is all about and then then see what I want to do with my life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What is the audition process like at, at when you're doing that kind of stuff? Uh, uh, normally you go in and you have, they ask you to do two or three monologues, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, classical, uh, contrasting classical and a modern piece, or they'll have you do like, you know, a classical and a modern. And um, it's funny, you're in this waiting room with dozens of other people and you're going in one at a time and you have your five minutes, your mm-hmm. six minutes. And it's, it's, it's so... It's so flawed, as is the audition process in general. Mm. Auditioning is a different muscle than acting. Right. You know, can you be spectacular for five minutes with something you've rehearsed ad nauseum for the last year? (laughs) Most people can be spectacular in that way, but the idea of then going on and capturing an actual performance is such a different beast. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But yeah, the audition experience is... something I was I was good at I loved it I loved yeah for five minutes I can I can be entertaining which is what helped me in my dating life as well um, and, and my love life uh, <laughs> although five minutes that includes cuddling <laughs> and the apologies ladies um, um, uh, yeah but it's it's also funny about auditioning you always you know 10 15 auditions go off flawlessly you're fantastic you do everything you want to do mm-hmm. they seem duly impressed uh, your ego is uh, um, um, duly satisfied uh, but i remember one i was doing a speech from hamlet this one thing this one speech that people don't rarely do and so you get extra you know bonus points for like oh you've read the whole play of hamlet you right. know, no one does that <laughs> one when he sees fortinbras and uh, i had forgotten the word eminent um I forget the context of the speech now, but I just forgotten the word eminent. And I just was staring at the people and there was this long pause. And you can tell that they lean that that the auditors were leaning in, like, oh, this is interesting. We've never seen someone pause like this to this length here. And they were really engrossed and like, oh, this is fin- this guy really has something. <laughs> this guy this guy's really this is the real deal. This is this is how he must have felt when when I saw Streetcar and Brando for the first time. This is he's making Shakespeare alive and dangerous and then you could see their bodies go, oh, no, no, he's just forgotten the next word. <laughs> this guy is a fraud. This, <laughs> this kid should hang up. He should go back to dancing when they didn't require talking. <laughs> um, and I just remember that was for ACT. And uh, they're like, thank you. Do you do you need a moment? Or I was like, no, I forgot the word imminent, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to go. This uh, I don't really like the Bay Area that much anyway, so I feel yeah. good with this. Um, the uh, New Archers Workshop, they were a bunch of crazy socialists. So it's like, you know, if you want to come to the school, they just want to make sure you can kind of talk and then you got in, which mm-hmm. was a, a real um, interesting experience once you got there because you had people of different levels and different walks of life. But the teaching was phenomenal. Mm. And uh, uh, yeah, being exposed to 
those minds and those concepts of acting. There was no showcase. Sometimes these schools give you a little showcase and push you out into the world and say, hello, agents of Hollywood. Yeah. These are the next crop of you know stars. For There was none of that stuff. So we had to kind of scramble in our own way and find other means of gaining entry into the industry. But those the, the training I got there was, uh, I, I genuinely say, unparalleled as far as what ideas and of performance that you were introduced to. Mm-hmm. With um, when when you were preparing the monologues and stuff like that, did you have like a set three or four that you always went to, or oh. did you like to mix it up? Because no, 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 no. I had my thing. I oh, had okay. I had this like Nebishi. I think it was like a from Howard Quarter's Boy's Life. This sort of like Woody Allen. Why don't I get the girl? Sort of mm-hmm. vibe was my mono was my uh, contemporary. And then I do two contrasting uh, Shakespeare, one from Caliban and one from Hamlet, and I mm-hmm. do this great like flip into from Dance World, like into the Caliban of this gross physicality, and um, it all sounds so pretentious now. <laughs> like I'd watch this and go, "Who the fuck is this guy? What is his deal? Just live, man. Just be you. It's something honest about it." But it was very polished and and good and funny and showed a great range, mm-hmm. and uh, so schools were uh, uh, appropriately impressed. And then they. Then you you get in, you're like, oh, you you didn't get the scholarship, or you did get the scholarship, and the cost of money at top. I, I can't imagine friends who have gone on to some of these grad schools and and paid mm. the fees to have entrance and 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 have that 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 prestige of going to like you know Yale or some of these joint. They 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 graduate with two hundred thousand dollars in in debt to mm. learn to act. Yeah. It's staggering to me. It's staggering. Anyway, but the but the creative life, right? Yeah, exactly. That's part. I mean, no, it's interesting. Like, like, what what do we feel we need to do, and what drives us towards? You know, I went to London because I was like, oh, I should be in London. I should be acting. Like, you know, I should learn. There's this theory. That, um, there's always people are always joking about. Well, if you're in LA, yeah, but. Sh- People in New York really know how to act. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in New York, they're like, oh, yeah, we can act. But people in London, that's where the real acting is <laughs> at. So by that logic, there's some motherfucker in a yurt in Mongolia who is the best actor in the world. Because yep. the farther east you go, the realer it gets, man. Um, but uh, I'm so just meandering. Um <clears throat> it's funny when you're being interviewed by somebody who you know personally, you're like, oh, let's just talk the way we do normally, but now we're on a podcast, and so we should be well, informative can, and, can, and good. You can be casual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Did you have to unlearn stuff when you when you actually got in and started going through the process? And Yeah, they tried to do that. They, sorry, they tried to do that. Um, the breaking you down game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a lot of people who honestly did need that. Because what is the idea of performance but for an ability to interpret and to have the writing or the circumstances of this fictional narrative live through you in a very vibrant and real way? Hmm. Um, that's what your instrument should be prepared to do so that you can then make those discoveries and be able to replicate them in a stage performance or have the path be as as 
open and responsive to where you can kind of capture new new moments of magic in a film or TV setting. Mm-hmm. And I think, though, we all have these blocks. So sometimes I think the idea of those breaking you down months of a conservatory experience or of a acting training experience are were initially created with uh, good intentions behind them of, of freeing up the the artist mm-hmm. um, but so many so often in classes uh, and conservatories it's some it really is some ego driven sadist who's trying to break people down and mm. and <laughs> and make them cry and work through their own issues. Uh, uh, I know that's what I try and do whenever I teach acting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there was there was a lot that I learned. There was a lot that that polish and that sense of being a showman and wanting to give the audience a good time. Yeah, being an entertainer first. That that's what really mattered to me more. And having to let go of that to explore uh, deeper recesses of what I might be able to bring to a role. And having to learn that sometimes my first instincts weren't the best instincts because they were, again, geared towards that. And it wasn't that I was presentational or big, but there was certainly a sense of, this is what you want, right, audience? That need. Mm Mm-hmm. And being more curious about the experience of the story and less curious about what's going to make them happy. Right, yeah. That was the biggest lesson I think I learned in this, in the conservatory experience I went, I went to, went through, yeah. Um, but again, uh, you know, wanting to pursue the art of it which I think is a really important conversation that 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 you know your this podcast brings up the validity of pursuing a thing for the joy of it mm-hmm. versus the commerce of what the art might be able to um, give you. Mike Nichols was always like, "You guys should. You've been through two years of a very specific experience in this conservatory. You've shared so much. You should go off to some." commune in the wilds of Pennsylvania and start doing, you know, Chekhov and Ibsen there and have a direct impact on a real community. And, 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 and that's where your art is most pure. And I would say, yeah, you just made a bomb of a movie with Gary Shandling (laughs) and, uh, you know, uh, a few drops of semen from one of your thoroughbreds could fund most independent films. Mm -hmm. I found that I rebelled against this real um, socialist push of what art should do for a community, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, fuck off, put me in a show on Broadway, do it," you know. And that was something I'm only now, in our current political—not only now, but especially now—in our current political climate of mm-hmm. such upheaval. Yeah. No matter what side of the aisle, uh, no matter what ideological. Um, uh, uh, flag you 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 salute in this in this crazy time that we have now. There is no contesting the fact that we need people to kind of help interpret and 
and and that's what I think art can do. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful when there are so many now facets of so many. You know, if it's good, there's so many elements of social media that where writers who who have a very insightful and particular interpretation of current events are gaining popularity. People mm-hmm. are flocking to it. They're looking to, it's almost the idea of like, you know, the villagers going to the shaman saying, what do these signs portend? What does this mean? I need some help making sense of it. Yeah. And I think that, that there is a real truth to the importance of, of that. Now, and I don't want to say just artists like painters, but like writers, people of any sort going, mm. I think this is, this is what I think is going on now. And uh, and and I feel it's very exciting to kind of watch all these little pockets pop up of 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 just what Mike Nichols was saying these these collectives these these new groups of people shaping ideas and and helping to understand what the fuck is happening in this world yeah you know mm. yeah it felt like there was a real um, you know it, it it was like a crossroads moment where you had. Um, uh, patrons of the arts and mm. people who would who would happily acknowledge that they existed as you know they they were um, sources of wealth and funding for yeah. people to be creative yeah and then there was a real it felt like a, a very short while ago there was a shift of people who were like I can do that and I've got the money to do it yeah and we're starting to to kind of take over a little bit and now it feels like it's there's definitely a sense of people kind of grabbing it back and saying, no, we, we need to create. And this is, you know, we, we need to express through art and we're going to find other venues. If you're not, if you're not going to do this in the traditional, you know, Medici sense of yeah. funding everything, then, then we'll, we'll find our way. And it's like that real moment where people are, like you say, they're finding new ways of getting ideas out and expressing. Them and there's ideas. so many gems out there. Mm. And there is, I know there's this currency. People say, oh, or, uh, I'm always pronouncing her her name wrong, but there's that, that writer on on the left, Sarah Kendizior, who mm-hmm. people just started like, discovering and loving her ability to distill some of the craziness and some of the reasons why. And I know it's not art, but I think that she writes it in such a way yeah. and has such a, a, a historical context of interpretation that there is an art to the way she distills mm-hmm. possible reasons for this behavior yeah. that we see in, in that sort. And I think that's as, as uh, powerful as... I have a friend who has an Instagram account called like Impermanent Art where he's going around cataloging all the graffiti that you see around. And mm-hmm. There's just... There is this, you know, democratization of of art, and and people have certainly spoken about it much more eloquently than I I'm ever able to. Uh, that's exciting now, and I go back to those lessons I learned in this strange little two year conservatory, uh, talking about the importance of art with a, a sense of impact on the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it is important, and. And this upheaval, I feel, though, maybe is, is, is bringing a sense of awareness to that. Yeah. Although that could be a, sort of a very Pollyanna hope for it all when since, you know, people are bringing guns to peace rallies. <laughs> so maybe, yeah. maybe art isn't that powerful. <laughs> That's it, kids. Uh, don't pursue your arts. It's not going to mean anything. Uh, good luck and good night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Science rules. Science rules, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. Was th- this was in the nineties that you were in New York? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I went there at first, like in ninety. F- I get the dates wrong sometimes. I want to say like ninety five, mm-hmm. um, and I was there for a few years. 
uh, went home, came back, and I started conservatory uh, fall of '98. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, just at the end of the Giuliani years, Manhattan was very safe. It was mm. it was a great time. It was a really um, still vibrant. There was still some grit to be found on the little island, and yeah. Um, uh, you would just hear about the beginnings of places like Williamsburg, and that's all the way in Brooklyn. Who goes there? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was great. It was a really vibrant. Um, the living in New York experience is it, it is all the cliches you would expect it to be as um, being sort of buoyed around in this biomass of, of humanity and seeing. I mean, you know, you have a role. You just go on the subway and go what's what's what are the, what's the full gamut of human behavior and each subway car has that mm-hmm. you know, you're constantly inspired by humanity uh the grotesque and the sublime elements of it um young lovers next to some hate spewing uh, um you know uh protester next to some down on their luck homeless soul who yeah. Did they go crazy? Mm. Were they always crazy? What's that? You just see so much around you. And if you're good, like an interpretation, of, uh, as you should be, like as an actor, like, you know, open to the interpretation of, of, of humanity, there's so much to see and catalog. It was a great time. Mm-hmm. It was a great time. Mm. Do you miss that in LA? Do you, fi- do you find that there's a, a lack of a, a, a place? where that exists or uh certainly there's not it's not so centralized but i think having having known that life is the best inspiration for imitating life the lesson i learned in in new york it's something i look for all the time here in Mm -hmm. la so i wouldn't say there's a lack of it but it's certainly not as concentrated just because the sort of sprawl of of this city's design mm-hmm. but it's still there like it's still i don't know the one thing i like about having an i guess an art focused or a creative focused life um is that it does it has forced me to to remain open and aware to the idiosyncrasies of life you see around you and the, and the beauty and when you find something that you rebel against or find repulsive to then not catalog that as repulsive, but to then ask, what is it about that that I'm being repulsed by? Mm -hmm. To be curious more about my reaction to a person or a behavior and to follow that curiosity and to try and create a reason why. Yeah. You know? One thing that's very interesting to me that listening to some of your other conversations uh, forced me to confront is that there's very little art that I I endeavor in that isn't related to business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't have a hobby that is artful. Mm. I, I don't have many hobbies like my the vast the vast majority of the resources of my life are geared towards creating or hustling or preparing for or doing jobs or 
endeavors that would hopefully have some sort of commercial mm-hmm. as well as artistic mm. um, benefit. Mm-hmm. I'm a hack. I'm, <laughs> I'm a sellout. <laughs> you know. But it's weird. I, I wonder if you left, left my own devices, what would I still do? Mm. But there's also, you know, there's some of that, like the, the, the hustle side and the, the discipline of, of, um, of the work that's involved in, yeah. in getting out there is, you know, there, there is a, it's a skill that some people have and some people don't. And you see some people who, you know, not, not mm-hmm. present company aside, it's some people who um, go way beyond their raw talent because they're good at, you know, that massage in that edge that gets them into the position to to use the talent. Yeah. Whereas some people are incredibly talented and they just, you know, they'll glide by every opportunity that comes up because they're not, that's not how they're built. They're not, they don't see the steps, they don't see the moment and they don't see the opening that some people are very good at. Yeah. Seeing, you know. No, the, a lot of people play the game of of like to use Hollywood or acting. They play the game of Hollywood very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that end, those creatives who aren't good at recognizing the opportunities, I think there is now more than ever. They should still, you know, not be. For those who might be open to going, oh, I've been doing this and creating this great work for mm-hmm. such a long time. And those who I do share the work with say, like, oh, this is fantastic, no matter what your medium is. And they get disheartened mm-hmm. by, yes, thank you for the compliments. And it has not equated to any sort of success. It has not done anything yeah. for me, even though I would, you know, it's not the reason why I do it, but I would hope to because I see these other people who are better marketing and whatever the reason. Yeah, there's still so many means of of finding an audience, of finding a means to share that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel as though one of the great things, you know, that that like this this podcast is an expression of is the idea of like, oh, I can do this thing, I can bring these conversations to. F- to the marketplace mm-hmm. and there's less concern of like, it didn't cost me a billion dollars to do. Therefore, whatever the returns are, I'm satisfied with because I'm sharing. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh that is something that, um, I think it's important. It's mm-hmm. important to, to recognize for those people who are doing it for a love of doing it, that th- you can still be human even though you're just doing like, you know, you create a comic book or you create these paintings. I just do it for the love of painting. Yeah. But there's still some human element inside you that goes, you crave recognition or you crave not as much recognition, but the desire to share mm-hmm. the art you do with a community, with people, with audience, with like minds. Yeah. And the means of distribution for, you know, it's a clunky, evil word, distribution. Um, it seems to always have like a connotation of money or a stink of money to it. But the means of distribution now are so democratized that you can just get it out there in some way and slowly, you know, like this podcast could be listened to by 20 people, the next one by 20,000. You just don't know. You just mm-hmm. keep doing the thing. It's that lottery ticket mentality. Yeah. Which is um, which is really what what Hollywood is. It's just a lottery. Every day you're just... Buying a lottery ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
When did you come to LA? When? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I came to LA because I was in New York and I was, uh, I had, after a conservatory, I had uh, gotten into this thing called the Shakespeare Lab at the Public Theater, uh, which was a, a, a good sort of uh, program to get into. And then the following summer, I did some work with them and started auditioning for uh, a lot of fun plays that were going to Broadway, but I was getting beat out by names in film and TV. Mm-hmm. And then I had a lovely woman, uh, Rosemary Tischler, who was the uh, uh, artistic director, I believe at the time, or co-artistic director of the public theater, say, Michael, go to L.A. <sighs> I hate to say it, but go to L.A., get a sitcom. Then you can come back and we can give you all the roles we want to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. So I go to L.A. Do I need to go check into a hotel first or do they just give me the sitcom <laughs> Is right there a away? desk for the sitcoms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there an information booth? Which way to the sitcom <laughs> giving department, please? Because um, I did mainly like clown roles out there and like uh, the, 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 the comedy roles uh, in New York and stuff. And... Uh, Sometimes when I hear myself talk, I realize the importance of writers for actors because <laughs> I lack eloquence. I go, oh, I wish someone could just rewrite what I just said. Um, but uh, so and I had a film that I was uh, a part of uh, that was going to be at Sundance mm-hmm. in 2003 and uh, had some some jazz and some heat behind me, as the kids are saying. And so I made the leap out here uh, late 2002, 2003 and had the whole Sundance experience mm. and it was all very exciting. And there was, uh, you know, the phone calls of like, I'm on a hike out here in LA and they're like, Michael, you got to come early to Sundance cause we need you for press. Like, oh, well, okay guys. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and, uh, uh, so I was out here. That pause was all like the disappointment of what that Sundance experience was. <laughs> that's what that pause was. That pause every time I think about it. And that's what the thing was. I had all these great meetings set up, and and this is the reality. You can come out with a lot of heat, and people can be very excited by you, and you can. It's the death of a thousand compliments. Mm-hmm. And a few months after Sundance, auditions didn't materialize. Representation didn't materialize in a way that was essential to get anywhere going. You can only have like your one or two champions. They can only do so much before they're, they themselves are somewhat, um, sp- the, 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 the limits of how much they can help you are spent. Yeah. And it just didn't work for me. It just didn't, it didn't equate. So that, that year I always, you know, I, I fell into my love of donuts full on. <laughs> my first year out here, I gained probably like, you know, 40 pounds. And the relationship that I was in at the time ended because she couldn't take the realities of Hollywood. And mm. I refused to give up. Right. And so she went and um, started a sane life somewhere. And uh, we parted ways. And uh I just stayed here and kept thinking, okay, well, what else can I do? How else can I get better? Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that was ex- I was happy with myself was that I kept saying, well, if the system's not working, I can't change the system, so how can I make myself better? Mm-hmm. And that was something that I, I kept doing. I went back and would get into the comedy scene here and every acting class and all that stuff, which led to a strange side career of, of coaching myself mm-hmm. for 
for actors mm. from um which is really what I've done most of my time here in LA. Mm-hmm. You know. What was the comedy stuff? Were you doing improv or Yeah, yeah. Paul Sills uh liked me and I liked him. He was the guy who was one of the, the main teachers at uh New Actors Workshop and uh he helped um a lot of his people went on to form Second City, and so I felt a kinship with the idea of Second City and the yeah. philosophy behind what that improv is for, and that it's the idea of improv, not for improv's sake necessarily, but improv towards a finished product. Um, and I loved that idea. And so I did Second City out here. I just threw myself back into classrooms uh, and and study and that sense of play, and you work side gigs to keep yourself alive. and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was good. That was great. It, it, when you're in a collaborative art form, you need other people sometimes. I never was really drawn to stand-ups, mm-hmm. to being a stand-up, and, which is something I feel like you can just do on your own. Yeah. Um, a- actors need other actors oftentimes, uh, most of the time. And so I found these classrooms to be really these great... Um, uh, buoying experiences to just to apply yourself and, mm-hmm. and get better. Mm. You know, how else do you judge? I know it's hard to understand what is the idea of better, but more alive, more fully expressing all the things, all the thoughts, all the um, inspirations you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did the coaching come around because you uh, you, you had moments? I was just really fucking brilliant yeah <laughs> no. um, but you weren't like oh i could do better or oh i could do that or was it just like a uh, you know i've never had i, I want to i always say one of the things that's helped me uh stay somewhat sane mm-hmm. uh, we talked a, a second ago about the idea of those people who play the game better or who are just more fortunate or whatever i've i've i i almost never say i'm not gonna say i never say it but i my instinct is never to say oh i can do that better mm-hmm my instinct is always say, oh, I want to be up there playing with them. Mm. Mm. And I think th- I've, I've come to recognize that that's sort of a, a more um, d- generous uh, point of view than some people have who are much more competitive and, and, and than I am. And the coaching came about in that um, I've always been good at script analysis. I've always, and then, you know, at Nurses Workshop, I was exposed to a lots of different methodologies of breaking down a performance because you wanted to be able, they wanted you to be able to work as an ensemble without the need of a director because everyone can kind of self-direct mm-hmm. with an understanding of the material and what the material wants to do and what it wants to be and how it wants to be received by an audience. And so I was very, uh, I didn't realize at the time so much, but as I got out here and would be in acting classes, people you'd be watching in a collective sense in the class and somebody would have a problem with a moment and a teacher wasn't able to or was trying to help the actor get through a beat or land a joke or delve deeper into a moment. And I had been exposed to lots of different techniques and methodologies to help to help eliminate the block in the actor. Mm-hmm. And... So I would offer up that help, and then certain teachers recognized that I had this this uh, this this ability, and I just started working with a lot of their clients. Uh, the coaching thing is a is a big industry out in L.A. and mm. New York of 
and it makes sense. I mean, my goodness, uh, other athletes and and or performers, I should say, have coaches of all types, and it's a scary thing when you have a project and if you do well in the room for this five ten minutes, or if you, you know, you could then land a gig that could make you millions of dollars. Why not? take on a different set of eyes that mm-hmm. you trust yeah you know um so the coaching thing came about very naturally um uh, i didn't have a sense when i'd be sitting down with somebody who is of a similar type to myself and they had an opportunity that i wish i had it was never a matter in my mind of um man this fucking guy here i am having a spoon feed or whatever i wish this was me it was always, I was more curious about the puzzle of how do we have this artist tell the most uh, engaging and compelling version of this script, mm-hmm. of this story. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a real gift. Mm-hmm. Coaching uh, ended up being a real gift for me because uh, I don't know that I would have sustained myself in the industry long enough for like, you know, the little uh, bump I recently had come about, mm-hmm. you know. How did that come about? Blowjobs. I <laughs> sucked a lot of dick. <laughs> and then eventually uh, I got on The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's it. That's the origin story. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. <laughs> good night and good luck. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to borrow that and steal that from... Was it Edward Murrow who did that? Good night and yes. good luck? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, I did a I, 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 I chased down a role in this show called Rectify that was some of the most beautiful writing I'd ever seen. Um, it was a, like slow molasses, this Faulkner-esque kind of tale of redemption. And I wanted to be a part of it and got an opportunity to do so. And I, I don't know for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what got me on the radar of Scott Gimple, mm-hmm. my small little role in Rectify. And it is a very small role. My character's around for a long time, but I'm only alive for a short period of time. I call it my weekend at Bernie's <laughs> phase of my TV career where my dead body is tossed around for a long time. And most of the time it actually is my dead body mm. in rivers full of snakes. Um, shooting in Georgia, folks. Come on down. <laughs> Come for the tax incentive. Stay for the snakes. Uh, uh, and then that led to Scott Gimple uh, kept... Um, inviting me um, through the casting directors to audition for uh, some roles on The Walking Dead and then finally it worked out that uh, Mm -hmm. that I was just the coward they were looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that was, it was fantastic. It was, um, uh, I was working my day job here which is coaching uh, on a TV show called The Fosters and um, I got the I got the call that you know, hey, you're on The Walking Dead, uh, and I said, well, great. Um, I can't say yes. Can you can you give me an hour? They're like, this is The Walking Dead. I was like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Their zombies move rather slowly. I'm sure they could afford me mm-hmm. an hour. And I had to call the executive producers of the Fosters and ask them if I could find a way to. I didn't want to. You know, you have to have some integrity yeah. in, in this industry. Yeah. And I didn't want to um, 
leave them high and dry and also wasn't sure really what The Walking Dead was going to be. Is it one episode or mm-hmm. is it you know for the next 12 years? Because that show will be the last thing on TV. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be Law and Order, SVU, and The Walking Dead. <clears throat> um, uh, and uh, Bradley Bradywig, one of the exec producers, was like, yes, go. We'll, you know, we'll be here when you get back and we'll figure it all out. And mm. So, which was an interesting moment of here I have an opportunity to go do my art on a show that is popular and exciting, but I had found such integrity and sense of self in doing this other art of helping performers be their best mm-hmm. that I think everyone, when I, when, I, when I shared that story, they're like, the fuck are you doing? You A show like The Walking Dead or whatever it calls, you do it. And I was like, well, no. I mean, that's the dream, and the dream can't sustain you. You have to have... Mm-hmm. some integrity in your work on a day-to-day basis. Otherwise, who the fuck are you when that moment in the sun fades away? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was fun when it came about, and it was fun to go do, but uh, uh, it's just a moment, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. But you're still doing conventions and stuff. And yeah, yeah, I'll do a few of those. I'll do a few of those. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, you know, they found out that 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 the coward is a bit more of a idiot clown in real life, and so they like having him around. Mm. So it's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I go there, do silly dances, and make an ass of myself. I'm like, oh, he ain't such a motherfucker after all. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Um. Are you, do you find uh, it's often said nowadays that we're in like a golden age of television and there's a volume of um of avenues now for people to get ideas out and do you find that there is uh is there a shift of people wanting to control and have their own you know their own pocket of an idea rather than you you said before it was like like, go go to la and get a sitcom and Mm -hmm. that was like that was step one, and then you go back to yeah. New York and you get the other jobs. And whereas now, um, and you've said that there's all these ways of getting ideas out. Is it now becoming um, a process where people are kind of retaining their best stuff for themselves and wanting to to be involved in all the steps? Are you finding that? Or oh, it's interesting. Uh, so there was the initial. boom of YouTube mm-hmm. where people put out silly videos and suddenly they're with CAA. I think this is what you're asking. So the idea of like, how do you advance your career or your, your ability to connect with audience or mm-hmm. how do you make a boatload of fucking money <laughs> from doing what you want? Um, but I think that there was a sense of like, you know, fun, then funnier die came around and people were putting up some funny videos or mm-hmm. interesting videos and being discovered or somebody would put up a, a short, uh, uh film based on a, a video game and get discovered for directing some next new project. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wonder if there isn't a time now with this glut of TV and so many in this, this fractured sense of mass media, uh, th- that, people aren't hoarding onto their best ideas. They're just not being, it's not as easy to get, to make the transition from, let's say new media, like mm-hmm. YouTube, Funny or Die, f- success, fame, to something more traditional because you have Netflix and Amazon, all these big, 
players moving around, you know, mm-hmm. coming in, there the opportunity to explode and leap from one medium to the next, I feel somehow is almost there's a stratification that's come in mm. again. Um, but there is so many opportunities now, and I think all the networks are buying stuff and doing stuff. And certainly as an actor, there's uh, one project after the next that is just exciting and, and, and you'd want to be a part of. And mm-hmm. just that story to explore and that world that they're telling stories in. Are, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty a, a amazing time to be a fanboy, mm-hmm. the fan person. Um, uh, to be, you know, I've always loved populist stories and and uh, the pulp world uh, and I think there's just so much out there now that's that's exciting to watch it's sometimes frustrating like, oh, I want to be a part of everything mm-hmm. um, but you can't be and uh, uh, there are still those like you know unique voices popping up that came out of nowhere and you're jazzed to watch mm-hmm. yeah are you finding that there's more people at auditions now or more people needing coaching for auditions now than, than there has been in the past? Or is it just the... Um, uh, yeah, I don't do so much private coaching as I used to. But I feel as though now, I mean, the realities of, of breaking in as an actor now, there are... There are other pockets of look of production you can kind of go to. There's the South, and and certainly New York is doing much more film and TV than it than it did, in, you know, f- ten or fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything, every audition now is on tape. Mm-hmm. So, I, f- I, w- I I would think that because it's so easy, and because of it's it's as easy to send a tape from Saskatchewan as it is from. West Hollywood, there's, mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't imagine being on the other end of the producing and the casting side of how the influx of, of, of material and submissions, it's, yeah. it's gotta be overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the, you know, the digital version of the buses coming into town and yeah. everyone getting off and going yeah. through the line and yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. It, it, the landscape always changes. The difficulties are always there. Uh, you have some heat. There's somebody else who has more heat than you. You have uh, a critical claim. There's somebody else who's won, you know, seven Oscars to your one. That comparative concern, that worry, it's important to be aware of the realities of the business if you're going to do it as a business mm-hmm. and, and subject yourself to those challenges. Uh, but again, like, you know, you can only get better mm-hmm. for yourself. You can only, even within, I guess maybe, I wish I would have thought this at the beginning of the conversation, even finding that amateurish love of doing what you do, even though that art is also what you do for a living, mm-hmm. is so important. Because once you achieve those moments of success, or in those moments of those fallow periods which can be days weeks months years even for some successful careers there's years where they don't work Mm -hmm. that amateurish love of what you do and why you do it is what is what keeps you from going fucking nutty and that's the real test (laughs) you know we both know we, we you know people who are currently successful but are are 
loons and basket cases and what is that uh, what, what is that success as a human being what is this art is all about it's supposed to make you a better human being on some level right or mm. more vibrant and I don't know craziness isn't the kind of vibrancy I, I aspire to mm-hmm. I mean sometimes Saturday nights pure crazy at 11 uh huh thank you Michael uh, thank you. Um, there will be footnotes to uh, all the blathering. Uh, <laughs> just go to www. Uh, what the fuck did he just say? And what the hell did he try and mean? Uh, dot com. Thank you. Do you have a web website? Or do you have <laughs> no, a web- no, I have no <laughs> websites. I have. I am. I am lacking in websites. But uh, you're on. What are you? You're on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Twitter, anything? Uh, my Twitter is basically me uh, retweeting more eloquent uh, <laughs> voices of protest, mm-hmm. and then my Instagram is probably just pictures of me and my dog mm-hmm. and my girlfriend. Um, so if you're curious about that, hit up Trenorland, uh, T R A Y N O R L A N D. Like Disneyland, but cheaper and less rides. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming down. Thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.